Oh, hey, you're listening to Pep Talk, a podcast launched during the national lockdown in April 2020 to celebrate and support our favourite New Zealand businesses. Join Grace Creft, ex-lawyer and former owner of Sweet Bakery and Cakery to hear about how some of our favourite businesses built their brands, the ups and downs along the way, and what we can do to support them, both now and once business as usual returns. So, are you ready for a little pep talk on your coffee break? Then here's your host, Grace. Well, you guys know that I get very excited when we have episodes talking all about chocolate. And today is actually another topic that is close to my heart, wine. (laughs) Today we are going to be chatting with Kath, who launched Joy Wine with her husband, Chris, actually from Martinborough, which is just about 10 minutes down the road from where I live. Joy's unique wine in a can creation successfully disrupted the wine industry like they planned and introduced the Joy... (laughs) joy get it of wine to a new generation they were really leading this wine in a can movement and proved that it is just as good as regular wine by winning a bunch of prestigious wine awards and now joy is smashing it on the world stage amazingly they are even bigger in canada than they are here in new zealand they are taking on the big guys in an industry that really is dominated by heavy hitters and intense government regulation. So jump on in to this chat today with me and hear about how it all works behind the scenes, who does what, the challenges that they faced along the way, and trust me, there are some goodies in there today, and how that joy philosophy of live for today comes to life. So grab a, cla- a glass or a can of wine, pop up your feet, and settle in for a good old chat. Hi Kath, welcome to Pep Talk. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, really well, thank you. And you are just we're just ten minutes down the road, pretty much from me right now, and a beautiful sunny day where you are too, I gather. Oh no, it helps to be in paradise, doesn't it? When you're putting yourself through the torture of business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. It can't hurt, that's for sure. All right, well, we are going to dive in and hear all about your personal background and your business story and joy world and everything. But before we do, whenever we do pep talk chats, we always warm up with what I call the this or that questions. So they're just like quick fire questions to kind of get you warmed up and in the mood for chatting. So are you ready for yours, Kath? I'm ready. All right. Well, your first one is very obvious, but I am quite interested to know as a wine lover and a wine entrepreneur, is it white or red? Red. Ah, Okay, good. And do you ever drink this more sparkling wines and things like that or read all the way? Oh, no, I, I drink a lot of white and a lot of bubbles. Actually, I shouldn't say a lot, should I? But, you know, I, I love them out. Yeah, yeah. Normal ideal situation would be starting with the bubbles and then you know, preferably rosé bubbles. Then moving on to an interesting white like a Viognier or something and then a Chardonnay maybe and finishing with a red. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like a perfect night. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but I imagine do you because you must have to taste test quite a lot for work. Does that kind of take the enjoyment out of it, or you still love it? No, it doesn't take the enjoyment. In fact, it, it even strengthens it because you taste so many, you really start to appreciate just how different and varied and and you know gorgeous the the wine journey is. It's just it's so varied. You can never ever 
get tired of it. You just got to keep <laughs> discovering new varieties. Yeah, and you're just operating on a different level to the rest of us, I'm sure. So oh. I'm glad I'm glad to hear that you still have the love for it. Yeah, I do. Next question for you. We've got do the cooking or do the cleaning? Oh, or cooking. neither. Oh no, cooking all the way. <laughs> yeah, make a big yeah. mess and then leave someone else to clean it up. Yeah, yeah, I'm getting better. I'm getting better at that. Those around me are less willing. Yeah. Yeah, nice. All right, next we've got go skydiving or go bungee jumping? Oh, bungee. Yeah. Have you ever done a bungee? I have actually, yeah. I've done a bungee, but I've, yeah, I've never done a um, sky jump. Yeah. Oh, well, put that on the list. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> All right, book smart or street smart? Book. Mm. Did yeah. you study at uni? I did, yes. Yeah. I did uh, psychology, which is uh-huh. why you why you end up in the wine world. <laughs> <laughs> sure. All right, last one for you. We've got morning person or night owl? Oh, morning. I'm such a morning person. I struggle to stay up beyond 10 o'clock at night, yeah. Mm, so I'm the same, actually, yeah, which is good because you get a lot done in the morning, but also sometimes it's fun to stay out late and not get sleepy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I need to start my partying early. Yeah, yeah. Like an afternoon session is, is yeah, oh, yeah. for I'm, me. I'm great in the afternoon. Like yeah. the party. <laughs> yeah, and then in bed by nine. Yeah, that's right. I'm on board with that. All right. Well, good. We've got warmed up. Got to know you a little bit there. And before we kind of jump into the joy side of things, I always find it really interesting to hear people's personal backgrounds as well, because there's usually like a bit of a background there that kind of hints at where they've ended up with business. And I know from uh, learning about you, Kath, that you have a background in marketing and food and beverage. So it seems like a really nice uh, journey to where you've ended up with joy. And I kind of imagine we could probably have a whole podcast just hearing about your previous roles, because it sounds really interesting like toast martin brewer and running vineyards and things so maybe you could kind of take us through a bit of your life before joy just quickly and what that was all like sure look i think my first entrance into the professional side of food and beverage obviously i've always been a food and beverage lover um but getting into it was toast martin brewer which was the um coming out of having children and working part-time starting off with that was when i first moved to the wairarapa and in fact it was great how and i took on toast martinborough which was fantastic absolutely you know that was that was everything you sort of have that amazing event experience and um the pressure of building up you know the whole project management side and then you know of course being involved in an amazing wine world was was super cool um from there i actually set up a marketing company for the region which was to market the region's wines predominantly offshore so we, i did a lot of taking wineries over to australia was our main focus then um, and then i secured two million dollars from uh, new zealand trade and enterprise for a it's pretty similar to the provincial growth fund thing that's happening now back then it was called major regional initiative funding and we set up a strategy for food and beverage for the water wrapper and got everybody on board and partnered with a uh, with Ucol, who was the uh, education provider. Um, you know, used to be a polytech. So we then courted Le Cordon Bleu to come and set up a school of cuisine here. 
and my involvement was all about the wine side of it and the marketing of the wine and pulling all the wineries together. It was such a huge, exciting project. And then um, Le Cordon Bleu uh, asked me to run the school that was being set up. So I set up, uh, oh, actually, I've jumped. What happened? So after that, before the school was ready to hire someone, I went off and uh, ran Alana um, Estate, which was, right. yeah. yeah. So it was a winery in Martinborough, which is, um, it was amazing because we had this incredible space which we set up for concerts. So I set up a um, contract for doing all the offshore contract um, concerts that came over. And we had amazing people like Joe Cocker and John Mellencamp. And yeah, it was amazing. That was a lot of fun. And then Le Cordon Bleu asked me to come and set up the school and run it, which was ended up being in Wellington. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, that was oh, that was a project and a half. <laughs> Can imagine. Yeah. Yeah, that was an incredible experience in just juggling the whole of this international um, French partner and the schools around the world and you know it was a very prescribed format they had and just trying to get that New Zealand flavour in there and really concentrated on that whole paddock to plate because that was our point of difference you know nobody else in the world could offer that kind of experience that we did with Le Cordon Bleu where we could pop over to the Wairarapa see the eggs you know just coming out see the you know <laughs> where the wine was made where the beef was you know growing and yeah the, I mean the students were just blown away by that and then we'd take them back you know to the school and they'd get to cook up all those ingredients so that, that was fabulous Amazing and then experience. yeah and then we had this crazy idea to set up our own wine company to really just to combat all that you know wine had reached a point where just there were so many labels on the shelf and and so all the wineries trying to get creative were just bringing out new labels so one winery had had you know five different labels and um sub brands and sub brands of those sub brands and we just thought well this is so i mean it's confusing for us and we're in the wine industry you know we were going onto shelves and going i don't even know these brands and i don't know what to buy so, you know, resort, resort, resorting back to your tried and true ones. So, yeah, I had this crazy idea that we needed and we could see the generation at that time, the younger generation were just all opting towards RTDs. And I, I saw my kids walking out the door with RTDs, you know, and they were really just started, you know, drinking with approval and just going, this is crazy. You're from a white family. <laughs> How can, you, how can you think it's okay to drink spirits at that age and then full of sugar? And so we said, you know what, we can take wine to the new generation and we need to do something to bring them into, you know, take away all that, that real fuss and, and stuff that's overwhelming about wine, which is, you know, the, the sniffing and the swirling and the, the names and the and the history and, and all the process. And it was it's sort of the wine world had become, uh, had, had sort of taken people too deep into that world and they'd forgotten to look after those that are coming through. So, you know. Quite intimidating, isn't it, that whole culture? Oh, like if oh, you feel absolutely. like you might get it wrong or say say the wrong thing or not take not hold the glass properly even and you're and you, yep, out. Yeah, so true. 
It is. It's so true. And and those inside the industry don't view newcomers like that. But as a newcomer, you certainly feel that. You feel you know, it. I, I remember yeah. feeling that. Mm. And so it was the you know the idea was to make wine fun again and actually take away all that side of it and just get people to go. Oh, this is fun, and it can go where we go. And also you know, taking it into different social settings, which is why we originally came out with that small 250ml bottle with a screw cap. But also we wanted to make it really beautiful so that it, was, it wasn't just another wine label, that it was actually something that was really beautiful and really enticing and really sort of, oh, I want to hold this. I, I think the beauty on the outside hopefully reflects what's inside the bottle. Mm, that desirability, yeah. Yeah, I remember when they first came out in those little glass bottles and it was so exciting. It was like just quite novelty, of course, like unlike anything we'd seen before. And I was at the perfect age because I was the RTD drinking generation. Um, and was it called Ritzling, was it, when it first Oh, started? God, it was. Yeah. That I was remember the that. Very first iteration. Yeah. Mm. And what, where did the... I guess there was there's two chain, main changes visually between then and now, and that's the the cans and then the name. What were the two? What prompted those two changes? So the name Ritzling um, incredibly caught the attention of the Ritz Hotel in uh, London, and yeah. they ordered a cease and desist because they had a little baby champagne that they put out in their hotels called the Ritz. And they were worried people would, you know, I mean, can you believe this tiny little production in the bottom of the world <laughs> caught their attention? But somebody from uh, a UK website had picked it up and had seen it when they were here on holiday or something. And then it kind of went a bit wild over there. And so, yeah, we had to change the name. That oh, was, that's so funny. I wouldn't ever oh. have thought, like, made that connection myself, having obviously I heard know. of both brands. But, yeah, I guess they have lawyers yeah. that look out for these things. And they they do. They do, exactly. And it's sort of as if we were ever going to be a threat to them. But it's <laughs> nice that they thought we could be. So, Absolutely. Uh, and you know what? Hopefully now we would be. Uh, but, yeah, that, so that was the... So we were really conscious about trademarks at that point and we wanted to come up with a name that expressed, that immediately expressed kind of what, what we were all about and what it was about, which is why you've got joy with an eye in the middle because it's kind of like a play on joie de vie and, you know, which is live for today, which is our little strap line and joy, you know, being joyful and it's all about being happy. Love that. Yeah, the can side of things because that's now – a bit more common but you were very much the first people doing this right you were pioneering that kind of wine in a can movement we were, at what point did yeah. you make that decision to go for the cans and how did it come up well with it? yeah it's quite interesting because it was a um canada has always been our largest market so you know we're this incredibly well-known brand in Canada, which is um, quite bizarre, but it, it's a market that, that love us and we just run with that. So we were in bottles there. So all the stores over there are owned by the government. So it's one buyer and they own all the liquor stores. Oh. So they're all identical. They're like, you know, carbon cutouts. And so, you, so when we were in there with our bottles, they um, contacted us to say that they were delisting us, which I mean, that would have killed our business. Would absolutely have just, we'd have to have packed up and gone home because they were, we were so reliant. They were about 80% of our sales at that point. 
Um, and then they said, but if you could put it in a can, we'd love that. And we just sort of went, oh, my God, because we'd been waiting to, we had sort of mocked up on our sales sheet that we were doing cans, hoping that somebody would order them <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and pretending that we were doing them because we, we could see it had to go that way, and particularly for environmental reasons. So, yeah, hey, world's largest liquor buyer says, can you put it in a can? And we said, yes, we can. Yes, we can. That's right. Yeah, so... Um, that was yeah our transition into the cans and because we got such a large purchase order it meant we could just go there wholeheartedly and and put all our efforts there yeah because it's production runs and things isn't it you know minimum orders and things you can't just try necessarily you can't just try something like that you kind of have to go all in on it you do yeah if you want to do it properly and with quality you just have to go all in and adhere to the minimum runs, which are huge and makes it really difficult for people to try. Yeah, a bit of a barrier to entry, yeah. Hmm. And that kind of, I guess, because cans have a bit of a, uh, like environmentally they have a great rep, but it, it, some people in terms of taste think that cans can affect the taste. I, I'm not in that camp, but I know that people do say that. And I guess with you guys, because you've got such a quality product going inside there, you, you kind of need to prove that it's just as good as wine in a bottle when it's in a can. And, and like you've won all sorts of medals and, and wine awards and, you know, like New World Wine Awards and things with that. Has that been a really key part for you in kind of proving that it's just the product is just as good? Yeah, look, you're right. It was all about proving it. Uh, it was more about proving it to the wine industry and the naysayers because uh, the younger generation got it immediately. It's sort of like, oh, yeah, what took you so long? Why aren't there more wine in cans? But, you know, the I think, you know, the older generation and um, people in the industry were much more hesitant and it was going off in the US. I mean, it's it, the US was exploding with can, wine in cans and down this end of the world, we just weren't seeing it in Australia and New Zealand. But, there, you know, it, it's psychological in terms of the taste because inside the can, the wine never actually touches aluminium because it's there's a special coating inside. But the irony also is that wine spends most of its life in steel tanks before it gets put into a bottle, just before, you know, being released onto shelves. So, yeah. so it, it's... There is no taste difference. Yeah. And the reason we went into all these competitions, and we did, we've won so many, you know, gold, silver, bronze medals, both internationally and here in New Zealand. And it was, it was important to say, look, guys, and these are blind tasted. And I'd love to have been there to see the judges' faces, you know, when they first, first revealed these are the ones you chose for the gold medal. Um, yeah, because it doesn't affect the taste. And if anything, it is better for it because it doesn't, it ages, it keeps it fresher longer, and it doesn't suffer any light strike, which you do get with the bottles. So, yeah. Of course. Oh, I'm very interested in how, how it works like behind the scenes. I'm always fascinated by businesses and, and, and what the actual day-to-day kind of looks like. So how does it all work for you guys in, in terms of like, where the wine comes from and where it gets canned and and who does what within the business paint me a bit of a picture of all that yeah it's, it's quite interesting because we we actually shifted our production offshore and went to australia um we went to clear valley where we had really high quality you know access to fruit on scale whereas in new zealand we'd been using vineyards here and while they were really good really you know top quality they they just couldn't 
provide us with the scale and we were servicing the largest liquor bar in the world you know which was Canada and we we simply needed to go so we were sort of forced offshore but happily to a, you know clear valley in australia which is sensational um and and also the only place to do canning at that point was in australia so we would have been shipping our wine off to uh, melbourne to do it there which is is ridiculous so it was only um gosh probably two years ago now when us when new zealand came up to speed with being able to can wine uh, because they just didn't have the you know facility to do it prior to that, so we actually worked with the one of the canners here in Auckland for about a year to sort of make sure they were getting up to you know the, the best available quality. And when they did, we came out and we released four key varietals from New Zealand: uh, one from uh, Pinot Noir from Central Otago, and a Hawke's Bay Chardonnay, and Marlborough Sauvignon Blanc, and Pinot Gris. So we, we really wanted to be able to showcase offshore what New Zealand could do. So we, yeah, so we still have, we have all the New Zealand varieties, you know, made here in New Zealand and we have the uh, sparklings which are made in Australia. Um, they're still made over there. Yeah, oh, that's really cool that you can do both. And, you know, it's, it's a Kiwi business and it's great that you can still celebrate our wine-growing regions as well, as well as making it workable for you offshore and what you need to do for growth and scale. Yeah, we wanted, we really wanted to trial the whole global product, um, local, you know, sorry, global brand, local market, local product, so that we could, when we were selling in market, we could be using all local suppliers and we wanted to see how that would look if we produced in Canada, if we produced in Australia and in New Zealand, but we could use local products and keep those, keep the product as carbon neutral as possible as well. But actually moving to Cairns, it's been so much more achievable. Yeah, so with um, when we, because we actually moved the business over to Sydney because it was a really big market that we wanted to tap into. And it's really hard to break into a new market when you're not there, particularly Australia. They are, they are very, shall we say, very passionate about, in particular, about dealing with people who are actually in market. Uh, and it allow, yeah, really allows you to get around too and um, work the clients and work your distributors. And so, and we were busy forming partnerships. We thought we'd be back in six months because we'd do that really quickly. Three years later, <laughs> we came back because uh, you can never be finished in Australia. It's just, it's such a tough market. And um, we'd made, by then, made a whole lot of inroads. And we wanted to release these New Zealand, you know, the cans in New Zealand we, we knew were about to take off. So we came over to be the first in the release of um, the launch of cans. So we were. And um, pretty much... Well, we wouldn't have been number one at the time, but we worked our way over probably the course of a year. We became the number one selling brand across grocery for the wine and cans. And surprisingly, there are about 42 products of wine and cans out there. Um, yeah. So, so there's, you know, a lot of people doing it now, but gosh, that was four years ago that we started doing wine and cans. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I'm imagining that all of these you know, all of this these processes and everything that goes on with making the wine and canning and everything obviously as all of these things do requires a lot of money so i'm interested in how you've 
you've gone around that side of things because you've been you've raised capital and you've done rounds and everything so is that you that's been managing that capital raising part of things yeah look i first stepped into the business to assist in capital raising and i guess my you know my skill set is very much that corporate background and you know chris's is all about creativity and winemaking and production and, and all those things i just have no idea about and so i did i i assisted in the capital raising but he is amazing to stick out front he's so you know passionate and is really great at telling the story that it was you know i kind of did all the behind the scenes work on that one mostly i was involved in doing a couple of pitches but yeah i do prefer to be behind the scenes <laughs> yeah, yeah but that was yeah. yeah so we we actually raised 1.4 million in that first raise which was just stunning we we were just blown away so that allowed me to step out and actually work full-time in the business as well with Chris so we really that just allowed us to produce because it's really expensive to produce it's a crazy you know in food and beverage you have to make the product first then sell it so you've got to pay for that all up front and then you know try really hard to sell it so it is a really intensive working capital business as with all food and beverage particularly wine because you can't do small runs you have to do large runs because all sorts of you know tank sizes and um and just the wine's ready it's got to be you know used for that vintage of course so that has yeah so that's um where we got to on that hmm. and the export you've talked a bit about export side of things and i mean i didn't know this about you guys obviously because i'm coming in as a new zealand consumer but you know the fact that you're kind of bigger overseas than you are in new zealand uh is is amazing like what an accomplishment and is it seven different international markets that you're exporting to now is that right yeah i was just trying to think what we so our key market's canada um second market would be australia and then norway of all places um china, china's a big market well it was a big market but it ebbs and flows in china and it's uh you know just one of those things that's a bonus when they throw in their orders but otherwise it's very hard to brand build there um the us and yeah probably just trying to think we're looking at going into the uk and we're expanding in the us at the moment so New Zealand was, it was funny, we concentrated on the offshore markets deliberately because they're so much bigger. And if you can get those working, they will fund your ability to, you know, spend more time in your own home market. And it's, it's funny when you're doing capital raises, which is such a huge part of small business in order to scale up. We did, a, like you say, a lot of rounds. And the really interesting thing is investors were wanting to see a presence in New Zealand. So even though we had all these amazing achievements with offshore markets, they were really concerned that they couldn't see it in New Zealand. So we decided to sort of concentrate more of an effort on New Zealand as well. And the export, like when you're going into these new territories, like you say, you're going to launch in the UK, what does that process look like for you? It it's obviously sounds really easy when you just say it like, oh, we're gonna launch in the UK, but I'm guessing it's really not that simple. No, there's nothing simple. They take, oh, they take, you know, it takes about a year to achieve a an entrance to a market, and that's not even actually achieving a sale. So there's a lot of regulatory stuff that has to be done before you can get in market. You know, so if you're going to the US, for example, you have to firstly find an importer, 
and then you have to have a distributor on top of that and then it gets through to the retailer and those are that's legally you're required to have this three-tier system and your importer has to apply for your packaging so there's a you know a regulatory body in the us that approves your packaging for the us and each market has different requirements so you have to go through that whole process of getting the packaging right finding a distributor and finding a distributor is is not easy you know you can get boy we've had some hit and miss in offshore markets along the way where you really believe this is the right distributor for your product and and it turns out they're not so you do a lot of work investing in them and then you need to sort of look elsewhere for another you know option and it's just really hard from working down this end of the world you know for all businesses looking into export markets there are so many agencies here in New Zealand that help though you know you've got NZTE um, you know in our situation New Zealand wine growers a lot of NZ Inc facilitating your ability to get offshore which is which is crucial and yeah and then you're it's really difficult to service as well, obviously. And we go over to Canada. Uh, we put a lot of time into Canada. If we're launching a new product, we go over and we do influencer events there. Um, we go over at least once a year to to just visit and market and do some pop-up events and things. Um, we do sponsorships over there. So we really try to have a, a huge presence in the market with a very little budget. <laughs> As, as you do when you're a small company at the other end of the world. I mean, our, you know, our budgets just can't even, you know, we, we have to be very creative because we can't. All our competitors, even here in New Zealand, our two top competitors, they are big global companies, you know, they are so we're just this baby in comparison. And it's the same wherever we are, we're up against the global giants. So it, yeah, uh, and it kind of yeah. forces you to get a bit more creative, doesn't it? When you're working with a limited budget, you have to stretch those dollars. Yeah, very much, and collaborate. You know, you sort of. I, I think Kiwis are really good at collaborating and working with like-minded brands and trying to achieve a lot more noise with like-minded customers. So you can, you know, we, I think we get really good at collaborating and. You know, you see that offshore a lot too, where we hold hands with other businesses over there trying to, oh, I'm a big believer in collaboration. I think it's absolutely key when you're in small business. Yeah, absolutely. And it just builds that sense of community. And it's like what you said with, you know, NZTE and all of the support that's available for New Zealand businesses. Like there really is a lot out there, not just financially, but but resources and information and research and things like that. It's just about finding it and using it and making the most of it, I guess. Yeah, and look, I'd say even more so recently since COVID hit, those agencies have got incredibly good at, you know, supporting in other ways other than financially and, and really supporting in, you know, lots of webinars and research and materials that you can tap into. Mm, there's a lot that goes on that I think most people, if they're not kind of dipping their toes into this area, don't know about. But there is a lot that happens behind the scenes, I guess. Sure yeah. is. And that you kind of touched on a little bit already. But one thing that popped into my head when I was thinking about you guys was in terms of the kind of challenges that must pop up along the way. And I'm sure there's quite a few of them. But alcohol, like it just seems like 
it must be a very regulated industry and you know there's all sorts of things around advertising and and those kind of restrictions what has that all been like and what like what's the biggest challenge of of working with alcohol do you think oh my goodness that was <laughs> that was a hard learning curve I bet. <laughs> because it's just like there are each country has different codes and in fact our very original you referred back to ritzling um previously that our first hiccup along the way was, um, well, we'd sold to the largest liquor buyer in Australia, which is Woolworths, and they own their Murphys and BWS. They took container loads of our product that we first had, which was those little bottles, and they put it throughout all their stores. That's 1,500 BWS and 250 damn Murphys, thereabouts. And it was all on shelf. We were just, you know, doing cartwheels, just so successful, you know, overnight success. And then, um, bam, somebody had just been to, you know, one of the top execs had just been to a meeting where the advertising code in Australia had changed and you could no longer have anything that was associated with a an emotion to do with alcohol. So there he happens to be walking past a shelf that had joy on it and our strap line was bottled happiness. Oh. And so we'd invested all this money in activating the market for, um, you know, influencer events, PR, the whole works. And, and that all kicked in, boom, and was activated because you can't stop that. And meanwhile, they took our product off shelf. Oh, my gosh. Everything was taken off shelf and repackaged, hand packaged, taken out of the box, new labels applied to cover the, you know, <gasps> bottled happiness, new boxes made, and we had to contribute to the packaging even though it wasn't our fault. Uh, they have an amazing way of not, you know, not strong arming you, but just suggesting you might like to yeah. <laughs> contribute. Oh my God. And so there's a cost associated, mm -hmm. and that's all to do with advertising codes. And, oh, that is um, insane. Got caught badly on that one, but the code changed also while we were there. Yeah. Uh, you know, and we you did a know. yeah. Yeah, we did a 3D music video when we were in Sydney and it was amazing and we had these models lined up and actors and it was super fun and then last minute the um, PR agency we were working with looked at our key model and they said, "Oh, we've just the code has just changed and you can't look under 25 even though you can drink at, oh. you know, at a younger age <laughs> anybody in the video couldn't look under 25 and we lost literally about five people they actually were um 24 thereabouts but they just said you can't risk it <laughs> so that was a hard learning curve and actually in new zealand now the code has just changed as well um so we all have to be really conscious about that it's all for the right reasons and and you get that but it's just you do have to really adjust all your marketing and really you know think about those things which we should all be doing anyway but it's hard when it's perhaps you've been doing something a bit differently and it changes it's interesting in canada you can't show anybody it's the little details with their arm at more than a 45 degree angle if they're holding a glass or a can <laughs> so what? yeah i know i know so we had all these photos that were, yeah, and then looking back at them, they were just slightly over 45 degrees, so they had to be binned. Um, it's, it's just, yeah, little things, but yes, you have to be aware of them. 
and make sure you've you're sort of adhering to all those and all those you know, I mean all those sensible things of not showing people driving or working mm. with machinery yeah, yeah. <laughs> which I'm sure you wouldn't do anyway but yeah no. keep on top of it yeah oh you just I would have had no idea about things like that and like I knew it's obviously very regulated for safety reasons which does make sense um but oh you must just get so good at kind of rolling with the punches on things like that yeah I think look possibly you get more caught so you know being uh, going into this different area that we had compared to because we'd worked you know I'd worked and I'd run wine companies prior to that but suddenly we were in a different area and with the social media marketing you can do, the, the style of marketing that we do, which is very much liquid on lips, getting the, you know, sort of doing events and getting it into the customer's hands, uh, all that stuff you really suddenly become aware. And because, you know, we were doing things that weren't traditional wine labels, which is why we had things like, you know, bottled happiness, live for today. Yeah, that becomes, yeah, that was learning the hard way. Mm, that's it isn't it it's when you do when you break the mold a little bit that's when you get you can get into those great areas that haven't maybe been like tested or or whatever before because no one's doing them um and that's what makes it magic but also makes it harder for you yeah it does it's sort of you know when you're leading the pack it's, it can be quite mm. tiring Mm, (laughs) quite nice to follow I think sometimes yeah it must be easier to some extent but then also maybe not as satisfying and and successful so I guess as well the other factor for you guys must be the family aspect to some extent because I've run a business um with family before and and it it can kind of be like tempting for it to be quite all-consuming and take over and things so how have you found that having family involved yeah it's it's you really have to be quite strict about that work-life balance. Um, I've been there before where I wasn't very good at that and you just, you can't sustain it. You know, you keep going and then you just burn out. So yeah, I'm, I'm quite militant about that now. It's sort of, um, you know, I think you have to have a cutoff point and today might be 6 PM, for example, as a cutoff, but you make that decision and you go, right. And now we leave the house, we go out for a walk or we walk around the garden, just anything just to say, right, this is no longer our office. And when we walk back in the door, it's home and, you know, and you've got, <laughs> you've got to have sort of, uh, I have in the house zones that you're not allowed to talk about work. So, um, if you're in that zone of the house, you know, aka the bedroom, you you don't talk work. But also having family in, yeah, look, we've got, you know, my daughter now has come back from London um, due to COVID and we've brought her into the business. She's always done things from time to time, but working full time since coming back. And that's interesting as well, you know, poses its challenges when uh, apparently I'm quite direct in my uh, working <laughs> manner. I've been told <laughs> I, I need to be a little more, you know, subtle and uh, conscious of, yeah, of my communication. Right. So it's, yeah. it's quite good. You, you just have to set up the boundaries and just go, okay, you know, this is how we operate when we're in workspace. Yeah. Everyone's learning. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I like that. I think it's not realistic to be like, oh, just we just talk about it all the time and there's no rules. I think you do need those boundaries to get that balance and, and it makes everyone happier in all scenarios, you know? I think um, whatever works for you, right, is, what, is what's important. Yeah, 
Yeah, and and it. I mean, the thing, the reality is, you are living it twenty four seven. You do, you can't help it, but you do have to try and establish some kind of boundaries for yourself, or you'll go yeah. crazy. Yeah, not encourage it. Yes, I agree. And we did touch on COVID a little bit already, because obviously the the flying winemaker has been grounded for due yeah. to COVID for a while. But I think the other aspect of it that seems to pop up a little bit is that kind of it's moved. It's kind of fast forwarded progress to some extent and moved certain industries along and I've heard you know from talking to people that in the alcohol space it it, the way that that's shown that the way that that's played out has been that it's become more of a direct-to-consumer product than it's ever been before thanks to COVID so I was interested to kind of pick your brain on that and see what your experience has been like with Joy have you kind of seen that big online direct-to-consumer growth in this kind of post-COVID landscape have you had to change in or fast forward any of your plans yeah definitely um we were slammed in our largest market which is Canada uh we we still remained uh you know top brand and category but the sales just and they're still they're still in lockdown I mean they're only just coming out they've been in and out of lockdown for you know over a year now and the stores you know just closed and then they were allowing one person in at a time so canadians shop very differently they shop every day for alcohol they just cruise in they buy a couple of things and then they know they'll be back tomorrow so they grab a couple of things on their way home from work which is really nice except what COVID did is meant they just went in really quickly and just bought the largest thing they could because to go back again was just just too much of a hassle so yeah so that really you know slammed us in canada affected us badly But then in New Zealand, this whole transition to online for the consumer uh, was really different because, especially for FMCG products, though um, there were probably people who always bought a case of wine a month sort of thing from people. But, you know, we're in that very much um, FMCG side where it's an impulse buy often as well. So transitioning, we had sort of thought about transitioning to direct to consumer through our website. We had the facility there, but it wasn't that user friendly. And we were restricted to just, you know, if you wanted to buy something, you had to buy a case. So that that's also quite a big spend if somebody's wanting to trial the product. So yeah, we definitely fast forwarded our transition to online sales. And in fact, we've got a new website launching shortly. And Ooh, it's, it's, yeah, it's great actually. And people will be able to buy a four pack and a mixed four pack to trial different you know, different varieties. So I think it's really important, yeah, that, you know, you sort of really open up that accessibility. And that's been, oh, we grew 30% in our sales in New Zealand during COVID. So that was really useful, <laughs> given there are the markets crashing. Um, the US got put on hold and Australia, yeah, they very much are moving to direct consumer over there. So, yeah, we did okay with that as well. Oh, good. Oh, it's it's always so interesting of how it affects everyone differently. But so glad that that you guys were able to pivot and kind of were, everyone was saying pivot for a while there. But you know, it is what people were doing, uh, and yeah. just kind of fast forwarding things and fast tracking what you know what's working in different places. Yeah, very interesting. And I'm guessing that moving forward, is it very export focused obviously for years it you mentioned the uk and new markets are there any other kind of new future picture 
things for joy in the work? Our biggest uh, focus at the moment is is actually we're turning back to New Zealand and saying, you know, okay, let's really let's really focus back on New Zealand and just you know appreciate that this is our home base and really get um, get this happening again. We are focusing on the US. That's a big one, and that's um, that will take a lot of a lot of time and energy and money sadly but it's a it's a really important one and our, our focus also has always been really reacting to what the consumer wants and and watching what's happening overseas and you know there was this real wellness movement and alcohol that was we saw starting to happen in canada and the us so we brought out these spritzes which are all about low alcohol um low low calorie and low sugar you know to no sugar and just really tapping into that um understanding how the consumer wants to drink now and it's really different you know people are drinking differently and the younger generation the modern consumer is very much looking at less alcohol which is which is real key so yeah we brought out our spritzes and then we saw seltzers happening going off in the us so we brought out some seltzers and we're just introducing those to New Zealand now because and they'll go into countdown shortly. Um, because That's great. yeah, and this is the first hint New Zealand sort of seeing as seltzers. So but also we're always, yeah, always looking at new things that the customer might be interested in and sort of doing the, you know, business case to see whether it's whether we can jump onto that and provide it for them great that you can be so nimble by the sounds of things that you know you can see those trends and jump on them and I guess that's the benefit of being you know a reasonably small agile business even though you're punching above your weight you you don't have that kind of like uh, red tape that a bigger beverage or alcohol company would have and you can just be like cool let's try this or let's do a business case at least and and see if it works absolutely and that is the the key and that's you know also the New Zealand advantage isn't it because most of us do start off in that way but then also it's a bigger risk for us because a large global corporate can try a product and it doesn't work and then they just move on whereas if we try a product and it doesn't work it could well be the end of our business so you know you you take a, a big risk you jump into the abyss and you hope that you've got it right yeah you can't absorb those losses in the same way that maybe a, a bigger business can yeah oh, interesting well i'll keep an eye out for those seltzers because i'd love to give that a try well we better wrap up now uh but i before we let you go we're going to get some some advice or tips off you because i'm sure that through this process and your previous previous jobs before this you've learned a lot about product and marketing and export so have you got any tips or maybe even just general life advice that you live by that you can share with us Oh, crikey, life advice. Nobody's ever what? wanted to hear that from me, yeah. <laughs> especially my children. Yeah. Oh, we'll soak it up. Give it to us. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look, I'm such a big believer, and it's our strap line with our products, which is live for today. And that's, that's about celebrating the small ones and celebrating the everyday, you know, everyday wins because um, anything that makes you smile really is, is, a, is a win. And we're great ones for popping the champagne corks for anything that's achieved, no matter how small it is or, you know, it really is uh, every day. Celebrate something. That's fantastic. And, I love yeah. that. And ties in very well with your brand, but also just as great personal advice. So I appreciate that. Thank you, Kath. Thank you for sharing that all with us. I feel very 
proud to have to be able to share your story and just that you're you know like we've said punching so well on the international stage from 10 minutes down the road I just love that about New Zealand so that's (laughs) fantastic (laughs) yeah it's cool isn't it it's fantastic thanks Kat thanks for coming on pep talk pleasure thank you bye Well, being a fan and a consumer of Joy here in New Zealand, I really did have no idea just how big they are globally. It's really cool to see these guys punching so much above their weight and repping New Zealand so well on the global stage. With all of those challenges that we heard about around export and all those crazy regulations that seem to pop up along the way, I imagine that it would be quite easy to get disillusioned or even just give up on all of this completely. But Kath really did seem to still be bubbling with passion for wine and joy and its potential. So I really do feel lucky that she could share that with us today. I loved hearing that story about joy and I hope that you did too. Remember that if you fancy trying Joy, now that you've heard all about it, you can find it at the supermarket, of course, but you can also order it online at joy.co.nz and of course, hop on and keep up with their adventures over on Instagram, which is at joywine. And remember, Joy has an I in it. Cheers to that. Until next time, bye.